Hello, hello! In this episode, what are the up and downsides of compostable packaging? How is the manufacturer Yashpaka creating compostable packaging from agricultural waste? And how do they manage to generate their own energy and be one of the few companies doing their own chemical recycling, producing in a circular manner? You will hear from Vet Krishna. Vet is the executive Vice Chairman and Strategy Head of the company Yashpaka. Yashpaka is based in India, was founded in 1981 and went public in 2002. With over 500 full-time employees, 1,200 including contract workers, the manufacturer aims to replace single-use plastics, specifically in the gastronomy sector. This was such a lively and engaging interview, inspiring me and hopefully it will also inspire you. So let's jump right in. You're listening to season two on plastic alternatives. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. For resources and to get involved, visit redtogreen.solutions. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. So, Ved, it's wonderful to have you on the Red to Green podcast. Thank you, Marina. Thank you for having me. We've been researching quite a bit about Yashpaka, and I have an endless list of questions. <laughs> Let's uh, start out with what is uh, Yashpaka doing and what sustainable packaging solutions are you providing? Okay. We started a uh, long time back, about 37 years now, in the pulp and paper domain. And uh, we realized over time that we were making a lot of products which were going into packaging but we had no control on their end usage. And that actually was a contradiction because we felt very strongly about leaving an impact on the planet. And we were making products which were inherently compostable, biodegradable, but they were being coated by plastics and different things, making them unsustainable. Mm. So we started working in two broad domains about eight years back. One was trying to find solutions for flexible packaging, which is things like chip bags or snack bags and, you know, bag-in-box applications, multi-layered applications, and uh, styrofoam replacement, which is a molded product. So what basically ended up happening was that we have actually managed to create the molded product commercialized first, but we continue to work on the flexible packaging side, and it is our hope and uh, focus that even by next year, we plan to have the first version commercialized for that as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We basically make uh, compostable packaging products for food. Mm -hmm. And are these products mostly for the hospitality sector or also for food products directly? So currently, most of the products are for the quick service restaurant space for food services. But the paper side actually goes a lot in food packaging as well, except it's not true happiness for us yet because a lot of the paper products go into food packaging with polyethylene coated on it or something like that. So it's no longer sustainable. That is why we feel that we need to find alternates to that. We are developing different coatings, different methodologies to be able to give a better product to the food packaging sector. Mm. Yeah, and you're referring to something that I find quite fascinating that even if the base material is something relatively sustainable like paper if it's 
processed in the wrong way, then it actually becomes unsustainable, right? So both things. I think one is we are talking about the processing post-production of paper. But there is also another angle which we must remember as users is what does it take to produce that paper? That's the other challenge uh, which we as a company have been trying to address. Uh, so, for example, all our raw material is sugarcane residue, whatever is left of the sugarcane after the juice is taken out. Uh, we are 100% based on biomass electricity. We are not even connected to the government grid. We make our own electricity from the waste uh, rice husk, which is the outer covering of rice. We also recover about 95% of our chemicals used in cooking. But... I would still say that there is a long way to go in order to reduce our water usage, reduce our energy usage, or change the chemicals that we are using. So there is also that whole idea of how a sustainable product is manufactured at the first instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on your website, you're uh, stating that your molded products, they're made from 90% agricultural refuse and just from 10% market pulp. So you're using the leftover after the juice is extracted from the sugarcane stock. How did you get to that point? And were there challenges of switching to waste material? Just a correction. Since the website, uh, we've actually switched to 100%. So oh. we are no longer using any market bulbs. It's 100% sugarcane fiber. Mm -hmm. Initially, the way it came about was that we were located in a zone where there is a lot of sugar manufacturing. And the sugar mills had excess fiber available. After they would extract the juice, there was fiber availability. I think that's how we stepped into it. And then we realized over time that sugarcane fiber, so each fiber has its own specialities. Certain things can be made by certain fibers and other things by other fibers. So sugarcane was apparently really good for molding. And that was just, I would say, synchronicity or stroke of luck or, you know, whatever you may want to call it. But mm. we already had the sugarcane pulping in place. That supply chain was already built from before. Mm -hmm. And in a previous episode, I think Julia in episode two mentioned the question, how scalable is it? Do you think that the majority of plastic replacements could be made from waste material? I absolutely think so. I'm glad you mentioned waste material because that's how it should be done rather than using a virgin product in the first instance. For example, currently we make about 130 tons of uh, pulp a day. In our molded products, we only use about 10 tons per day. So there is the possibility of uh, scaling it significantly. There is 13 times, 13x is what we can uh, scale on this capacity. We definitely have the possibility even on the current location to double the capacity. So that's a significant capacity increase. There is enough sugar mills around the world where we can set up capacity mm -hmm. and start providing these products. And how much money does it save you versus using market pulp? Oh, significant, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we buy, at least I would say, at least uh, we pay double if we are to use market pulp versus mm -hmm. creating our own pulp. So yeah, there's a 50% saving on that 10% by adapting our processes so that we do use more agricultural waste than market pulp. Mm -hmm. And the end product that you're creating from this are 
serviceware plates that are oftentimes used like in takeaway restaurants. So the tricky thing with that is, would it be possible to use that for food product packaging? Uh, product packaging. So let me get to the basics. Since it's a natural product, the challenge becomes that that it's basically breathable. Hmm. And as soon as you put a food product in, the biggest challenge in food packaging is that there has to be a barrier for oxygen and for water vapor. So that's the challenge that food products have in order to preserve it for a decent period of time. These are not the products which are created for that. This is typically for service and usage. Yeah. What we have been working on is delivery products. You know, how can you use the same product for delivery? But that you, that also needs a very different chemistry, which our team is now working on. Because again, it tends to, as soon as there is steam trapped, uh, it tends to become soggy, for example. So we are trying to work on that. But on the food packaging side, it would be more of using paper with certain bioplastics in order to come out with a structure which actually prevents oxygen and water vapor from going through. Mm -hmm. And how has been the reaction from customers? Who are your main customers? And how willing are they to switch to this compostable solution? Most of our customers are quick service restaurants. And it's a mixed bag. There is a lot of people who depend on what the political climate is, what the law is. In case there is a ban by the government, then they will switch. There are, of course, some people who, you know, either the customers pressurize mm. or they feel themselves that they want to switch to a sustainable product. Those are the ones who switch. It's like the early sort of takers. Those are the ones who will initially adapt. And then the rest, wait and watch because styrofoam is still much cheaper. Plastic is not. We are more or less equal priced as a decent plastic, mm -hmm. but we cannot compete with styrofoam. And in India, it's a very, very price sensitive market. So that's what we struggle with. But that said, there are people who can be convinced, especially with the argument that in case there is a like a 3% increase and you increase 3% on your food price, nobody notices and your food looks much better. And the customer is happier with using sustainable products. Mm. And how much more does it cost compared to styrofoam? Compared to styrofoam, it would be almost double. But that said, uh, the difference is something like one euro cent kind of uh, difference. It may sound a lot, but typically it'll be between one and five cents. That'll be the kind of difference between a styrofoam and a molded product just price-wise. Okay, so if I would take the same tray, but in compostable, it would be between one to five cents more expensive. Yeah, depending on the size of the tray. Say a max of five cents. So, you know, you won't mind paying five cents more for a compostable product. Yeah, no. <laughs> or maybe even 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in India, you're within a very price sensitive market. Where else are you selling these serviceware dishes? The focus remains India for us mm -hmm. for now. And the whole design ethos has been created with the Indian food in mind. That said, we are going to start spreading our wings, uh, maybe depending on you know what happens with COVID. And mm -hmm. as COVID opens up, we would start spreading our wings a little bit. We are looking at US for strategy next year. 
and maybe along with that a european strategy as well so in case you have some people who are good at distribution and are keen we would be really happy to connect with them well anybody listening <laughs> who feels called please 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 <laughs> so let's uh, actually look at the topic of compostability in an early interview there was one argument that a lot of people don't differentiate between compostable packaging and uh, classic plastic packaging. So they end up throwing compostable packaging in the wrong bin, therefore reducing the efficiency of recycling. What would you answer to that? Absolutely, that's a huge challenge actually. And uh, one of the things that we decided as a company that we don't just want to make compostable packaging we want to make backyard compostable packaging mm -hmm. because in order to take it to a composting site you'll have to segregate and the municipality will have to take it to a composting site the challenge is that many many countries don't have industrial composting mm -hmm. so in the end even if as a consumer we segregate the products and feel good about it what happens in the end is the question i know that india has literally no industrial composting site i know the us has very little i know germany does have composting sites so we feel that the closing the loop would ideally be as short as possible if we could create backyard compostable products and people could compost at home we've been trying to even look at small composting machines for restaurants so that they create compost instead of uh, disposing any of their products and looking at their whole product range and ensuring that everything they use is backyard compostable so then what happens is that you can put it all in the same bin along with the food that is wasted and compost it all mm. okay let's look a little bit more into composting the tricky thing with home composting is that a lot of people end up not doing it but on the other hand, the alternative is that they throw it ideally into the black bin or where it will get burned, um, not into the plastic or recycling bin. Then if it gets burned, it still is not as toxic as plastic that would get burned. Would you agree with that rationale? Oh, for sure, because fundamentally it's based from natural materials. It has to be, the, the gases that would be generated would be very different from that of a plastic. So yeah, for sure. And the other thing, of course, I realize that everybody will not be interested and will not spend time composting. Mm. But it's much easier for a collection agency to handle lesser number of products. So, so even if people don't compost at home, it would be a lot easier if they could just segregate it into wet waste and put all the packaging along with that and mm. then for a collector it's a lot easier to actually compost than than multiple segregation so that would mean wet waste being food waste and compostable products yeah. and then plastics and paper as yeah. the other yeah. option yeah ideally no plastics Yes. Just metals and glass then. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Ideally, no plastics. Yeah, because I have the feeling that the argument of circularity is sometimes used to defend plastics, saying uh -huh. that, well, 
compostables are not circular or in the current system, as they can be industrially composted in most places, they are not circular. Uh, so plastics could be circular, therefore we should stay with plastics. But the fact is that 9% of plastics globally have ever been recycled. Therefore, yeah. arguing with circularity in terms of plastics is not really working out. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys have discussed it before, but there is no such thing as recycling. It's always downcycling. So, mm. you know, so the more you, you cannot take a product and I can easily see for paper and for plastics that you take a decent quality product and then you downcycle it to a, a poorer quality product. And you can only downcycle it so much. Ultimately, it becomes a product which cannot be further downcycled. So in the end, it'll be downcycled to a place where it cannot be downcycled. And the other challenge which people don't realize in general is the amount of energy that it takes in order to collect and then to actually even the manufacturing process of recycled products. So in our case, I can clearly vouch for paper that paper is much worse if you buy recycled paper, at least in places like India, even the waste paper is mostly coming from the US. So you're collecting in the US, you are transporting it halfway across the world. Uh, then you're transporting it inland to a different location. The recovery is less than 50% of the product that has been transported across the world. What you create is uh, a poorer product than what actually came. Mm. And then you try and transport it back to somebody, maybe even export it back. And the process itself is not it's not energy neutral, right? So you end up consuming almost as much energy as you would from a, using a virgin material. In the end, the damage of recycling is actually far greater than using virgin products. Ah, oh, this is so frustrating. Which people don't realize. <laughs> yeah, which people don't realize. They like the recycle tag and it's a good marketing tool. Yes, it is. Absolutely. What do you think about recycled plastics? It's the same. It's the mm. same again. You know, the the same thing happens where the collection is somewhere else. The transportation is huge. You still need a lot of energy to convert it, to melt it, to again reform it, and then to blow it into plastic again. And then after that, you produce a poorer grade of plastic, which cannot be used for the same purpose. And then you transport it again. So it's the same, same cycle that continues in any recyclable sort of product. Could you explain the topic of extended producer responsibility? What are your thoughts on this? Are you going to get me into trouble? <laughs> <This Yay>. is, <laughs> I'm going to be blunt. I think mm -hmm. this is another farce that we are creating where we are trying to push our responsibility onto a producer, which is not practical. I don't think it's practical to collect stuff from consumers. It's literally like pushing away responsibility of governance onto a private company instead of working on statutory norms. For listeners who don't know what extended producer responsibility entails, could you describe it? Sure. The conversation is that the producers need to take responsibility for the kind of packaging that they are using mm -hmm. and part of, and it, it has different versions but the main version is that they need to ensure that the disposal of that packaging is in a manner where it is reused in a way so it's reused recycled so if it's a shampoo bottle somebody buys it and then when it is disposed it actually is the producer's responsibility they have to find a way 
to get that bottle back and either recycle it or reuse it. That's fundamentally how I understand EPR. Mm -hmm. So in terms of economies of scale and a company like Unilever being active nearly globally, one could say, uh, that's hard to track and hard to make happen, probably also very inefficient. However, would you agree that producers need to take responsibility in terms of creating products that have the potential of being recycled or have the potential of being used sustainably? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so even when we are looking at production systems, it's always good to solve the problem at the source. What happens is that first we create a problem and then we create a whole mechanism to solve that problem. If I take an example from our own production systems, first we are going to use a volatile chemical to produce pulp or to basically remove lignans from the fiber. And then we try and set up a whole system to recover that chemical. It makes us look really good that, oh, we've recovered 95% chemical. But wouldn't it be so much better if we didn't use a volatile chemical to start with, mm. if we were finding another solution, which was more nature-based? I'll give you an example from India. Last year, there was a rumor that India is going to ban single-use plastics on October 2nd, mm -hmm. 2019. Mm -hmm. And because of this rumor, maybe the Prime Minister was thinking of it, I saw so much buzz of innovation activity across the world. Everywhere that I would go, I would find a bunch of Indians. They were looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it was not announced on October 2nd, everything died down. Everybody was back to normal. Where I would say the responsibility should be right about using the kind of packaging that doesn't need to be collected. It needs to be, it, it is such that it is actually going to go back to Mother Earth one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Except if it's industrially composted and then it actually could be collected and turned into compost, that would also be a viable solution. That would be lesser of the two evils, but yes, still still evil enough because <laughs> that would still have its challenges. But yeah. So this is a good basis for to, to make a lot of people confused. <laughs> all of these different <laughs> terms, all of these different impact factors to consider. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and especially as a food company to get lost in all the options. So let's try to give some advice to people maybe working in food companies who could influence the leaders or are the leaders of these food companies. What would you advise to guide them on a, a path to more sustainable food packaging? Okay. And, uh, and you're specifically talking about foods that need a certain shelf life. Yes. Right? Okay. So maybe there are a couple of stages there. Definitely what you mentioned uh, before, that any packaging today needs to be recyclable, at least. When we look at multiple layer packaging, uh, which is flexible packaging, which mm. is metallized and different poly sort of uh, structures, that's a no-no because that is not going to be recycled or composted or degrade. Nothing will happen at, uh, to it for 100,000 years. I would say that step one, go for recycled. Step two, Search for products which are industrially compostable, at least, if not better. Step three, 
let's find a way to make it home compostable. I would say those three steps and we should be doing better than what we are today. The challenge that happens in the shelf life and we struggle with it as we create products is that compostable packaging composts on the shelf as well. The dharma mm -hmm. of packaging is to protect what's inside. We have to ensure that the kind of shelf life that is desired by the food product is provided uh, to it through this packaging. That's the major challenge that we face as uh, producers to get that balance right. Yeah, it would be so funny if the thing that turns bad on the shelves is not even the product, but the, <laughs> the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the first thing that you mentioned, I think you meant to create a product that is recyclable, so can be recycled within the systems that are locally available, or did you mean that it is made from recycled materials? Ideally both, but at least if it's virgin material, like I mentioned before, there's not that much difference. In fact, many times recycled material may not be as good, but I would say till it's recyclable. So whether it's made from recycled material or virgin has less of a bearing for me. I would say it needs to be recyclable, which basically means that it cannot have multiple layers. So it has to be a single layer of product. It will be very easily taken by um, a collector because it has economic value. As soon as we have multiple layers, the economic value is so low that in India, it's a huge community of rag pickers. Uh, they just don't do it. They, there's no economic value for them to gather a, a multiple layer product. And for companies who want to look for food packaging that is industrially compostable, what options are at the top of your list? Uh, so in that case, it has to be something that is multiple layer for now, because the food packaging needs a structure, it needs printability, it needs barrier for moisture, and it needs barrier for oxygen, and it needs to be heat sealable. And those are things that are needed also because of the way the machines are structured right now. We could have gone for a very different system, but that will not be possible at this stage because people have so much invested in the machinery. So it has to run on the same machine as the plastic packaging. There are many structures today which are available. You mentioned one, which was PLA. PLA is a decent product which is being produced through starches. So that could be one. There is other petroleum-based products as well, which are could be industrially or even backyard compostable at, at times or water-soluble at times. But basically looking for something which has a structure that is going to eventually go into industrial composting site, even if it's multiple layers. So if you used paper plus PLA, it would be an industrially compostable product. Mm -hmm. And for home compostable product packaging, what would you recommend? I don't think we have any yet for food, for shelf life. There is people working on it. I am aware of that. But as soon as you need to retain aroma or the crispiness in a product, so, you know, that again, it equates to oxygen and moisture. There is not enough barrier that is available in a home compostable product. That's the challenge we face. We are working on it uh, night and day. And I hope that we can actually come out with it soon. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like uh, in terms of industrially compostable packaging, there are some solutions which would already be able to replace plastic in that area. But we have the issue that 
there aren't enough industrial composting facilities. However, I feel it's the chicken and the egg problem here. As long as there isn't enough industrially compostable packaging, why would you start doing industrial composting on a large scale? And vice mm -hmm. versa, it won't be used in packaging until there is a facility to manage it. So how do you see yes. us getting out of the loop? Is regulation the answer? Uh, I would say that innovation is more of the answer, where we work harder towards home compostability. I would say that that's where the energy needs to go. Industrial composting, to me, would be an, a no-no for long term, mm -hmm. uh, because like you said, you need industrial composting sites. The way that the products are produced, there is a challenge there. There is the whole idea of whether they're produced from a food resource or not. What, what is the amount of agriculture that is being taken away from that place where they're being produced? So I would say continuing to work towards home compostability, which is how nature works. Everything is home compostable in nature. So working towards that and becoming more aligned to nature should be our goal. Mm. Though at the same time in Germany, for example, there's very little industrial composting. I, during my entire life, have never had any industrial composting offered by the six, seven places that mm, I lived interesting. in. Interesting. And wow. all of the food waste gets thrown out and generally burned or energetically recovered, mm. as we like to call it. So yeah. That's a the, pity. There is, I think, a need for industrial composting anyway, looking at all of the waste that yeah. is being burned, especially sure, because wet waste is decreasing the efficiency of the burning mechanisms and increasing the energy needed to burn it. Yeah. And we are losing a huge economic value add because as soon as you throw food and you burn it, you're losing, if you were composting food, you would also generate a lot of gas. Mm. So you would generate a lot of methane, which is also energy. In an industrial composting site, which is well done, you would generate energy out of uh, methane. That's the other benefit which we are losing out on if we are actually putting it to burn. And of course, it has 90% moisture usually. So yeah, you're just, you're just closing your eyes, basically, and, and getting it done with, which is not ideal. Mm. Okay, so while you're saying that going the route of industrially compostable packaging is not ideal, we do still need composting facilities anywhere anyway to create a sustainable system. And it's at the very least better than plastic, to summarize. Yeah, I, actually, it's really smart that you mentioned this because I didn't think of it as the food problem as well. Mm. Because there will always be a lot of food wastage and that is again a huge resource because that could generate gas and it could generate compost. So both those things, you're right. Maybe I need to correct myself and say that industrial composting is also something that needs to happen alongside. Nice. Woohoo! <laughs> we got good learning for me. <laughs> learning from each other. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You were also saying that you are creating all of your electricity from agricultural waste. You're actually using that already from rice husks. And mm -hmm. could that's you, the main resource. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. There is a lot of rice cover that is wasted when they mill the rice. We buy that from the millers 
and uh, then we burn it to create steam and we use that to create electricity we also use the whole chemical recovery system we also burn our effluent and we create about a megawatt and a half through just burning effluent those are the two main resources for creating electricity and we today create about 8 and a half megawatts which is a decent amount of uh, electricity created from biomass mhm what is effluent effluent is the waste uh, chemical that comes out of washing our pulp which is what we use for recovering the chemicals we mentioned 95% recovery of chemicals what happens is that we use certain chemicals to cook our pulp those chemicals they are washed and taken and thickened you evaporate uh, a lot of the fluid and what is left in that is some organic material and inorganic material when you burn that thickened fluid it creates uh, heat or energy mm-hmm. which we use to create power electricity and the inorganics come out as ash that ash is actually reacted and we can get our chemicals back so those are the two things that happen from release of our effluent from the waste you create electricity and you create chemicals again wow that's a fascinating system did you develop it yourself Oh no, I wish. No, actually I don't even wish. That's not our domain. <laughs> but uh, but no no, there were there was a company in Austria that created the system initially and then it's been adapted to various materials over time. Mhm. How did you come about that? Did you actively search for these processes and then license them or how did that happen? The challenge wasn't finding the technology. The the bigger challenge was that we were so hell-bent on using it as a very small company. The adaptation of technology was difficult and the economics was difficult. It's a wonderful story actually on how the universe conspires when you have your intentions, right? The way it happened was and I hope none of our bankers are going to hear this but <laughs> I'm going to tell you anyways uh, what what happened was that we were very clear that we if we were going to set up a new facility we would like to recover our chemicals mm-hmm. now economically it didn't make sense because the cost of the factory was so high that it would not recover its money for 20 years mm-hmm. so we actually hid it in our proposal we didn't showcase the return from that one plant we actually only showcased the overall return of the project which was influenced by other expansions like paper and pulp and etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's how we put the project because we were very clear that we wanted to do this the entire industry here was literally laughing at us and i was much younger than i was only 30 and they were just like this young guy is just totally crazy and they're going to close down the company and we said no if we are going to expand we are going to do it the way we want to do it the interesting fact that happened was that when we calculated it the cost of the chemical was uh, and i'm going to say it in rupees and, and honestly it doesn't matter it's the change in the value that matters so the cost of the chemical was 14000 rupees per ton and that's how it was calculated that it's going to take over 20 years to pay back mm-hmm. by the time we actually commissioned the plant in the next 2 years the cost of the chemical rose to over 35000 wow so actually the payback became less than 5 years which was an absolute gift from the universe and of course the the crazy young boy became the visionary 
because suddenly people thought, oh, he had thought of this before and it had nothing to do with me. It was just the grace of the universe mm -hmm. that decided that we, we had decided something which was in line with our thinking. And even if it didn't make economic sense, and it started making economic sense, and lots of people then decided that they wanted to do this as well. Mm -hmm. yep. Big change, yes. Yeah. So let's get to some of the closing questions. If you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you mm -hmm. invest it in? Biomimicry research for finding solutions for packaging. Like I mentioned before, we feel strongly that all the answers for packaging lie in nature. And we need to really open our eyes and see how nature does things. And there's a huge variety. And, and, and when you look at nature, there is solid, liquid, gas, all sorts of packaging that is there. We need to understand and adapt our packaging accordingly. So that's where I would invest resources to really understand what nature does and what the building blocks are, and then adapt it to industrial packaging and create things which are more aligned with the natural processes. Mm -hmm. And that what upcoming packaging innovations or trends uh, will be especially interesting for the food industry? Similar things as what we have uh, talked about. I would add one more trend, which is edible packaging. Mm. We found a few products which have done that well. There is, of course, challenges along with that, as in because ultimately the outer surface will also need some packaging. Otherwise, it, that might attract a certain amount of bacteria. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge they face. But I would say some sort of compostable packaging would keep evolving. There would be more packaging which would be molded. There would be more... Uh, packaging which would retain the freshness and yet be compostable. At least that's my wish list. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, what are magazines, books, or other resources that you would recommend to listeners? Oh, wow. That, that'll be a long list. I'm going to shorten <laughs> that. The couple of books that have deeply influenced my thinking, there's a book called Cradle to Cradle mm -hmm. by William McTurnau. And uh, there is another book called Biomimicry by Janine Penehus. Both these have really influenced my thinking. And I would highly recommend that to anybody looking for natural packaging and how the circularity should work, etc. The magazines or journals, there's one in India, which is really nice. It's called Down to Earth. And I presume it'll be there online as well. And they do a good job of uh, sustainability. They're not totally focused on packaging but they do a good job of sustainability and that could be food chains, etc. So, so yeah, I would say those three would be top of my mind. Well, that thank you so much for being on Red to Green. Thank you so much, Marina. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. If you like Red to Green, remember to subscribe and share it with your colleagues or friends who could be interested. To volunteer in industry research, marketing or writing articles, check out redtogreen.solutions. There you will also find resources mentioned in the episodes. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.